Welcome to episode 44 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, you may be prepared for your next backpacking trip, but are you prepared for a natural disaster? You may be more prepared than you think. Then, we share the top five benefits of leaving behind one of my favorite pieces of gear. Then, on the Ready for Adventure segment, we prep for a hypothetical trip with two friends and the kids for a fun 24-hour adventure. Next, get out your exacto knife and get creative with your closed cell foam pad. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. September is National Preparedness Month, and while it's not a uh, you know festive holiday where we light up a tree and bake special treats or anything, it's part of a government effort to strengthen the United States preparedness. One of the things they recommend is that you have emergency kits stocked and ready to go in your home and in your car as well. So they usually talk about these being 72-hour kits. So having a kit that has enough stuff in it so that you can survive for three days just out of that kit. And so quite a few years ago, we put together our 72-hour kits and basically had a bag for each member of our family. And they had various things, uh, you know, water, food, and a change of clothes. And so the idea was that we could grab those in case of an evacuation. Or even if we were not evacuating, just had to stay home, we'd have a kit, you know, with stuff in it that would take care of us. So it's a great concept, but there are some challenges with these emergency kits. One of those challenges is keeping them refreshed and replenished, especially with our children. You know, we would have to remember to pull out the kit and take out the clothing that no longer fit and put in a pair of clothing that would fit as they grow. You also have to remember to take out the food and rotate it. And even the water, really, probably needs to be rotated. So that's a challenge. And then we've gotten to wondering, do you have an emergency kit that you can actually carry? So if you have to evacuate and say you can't take your car, are you just carrying this thing in your hands or what? Can you put it on your back? So we had backpacks. They were just day packs, though. After a few miles, I think they'd get pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, and I know a lot of families use like five-gallon buckets or even pretty large storage totes that they could put in their car, you know, if they needed to evacuate. Yeah, great if you have a car, but then when you have to leave the car, it could be really tough to carry some of these emergency kits around with you. And then another challenge is, are you well-practiced at using the stuff that's in your kit? Or does it just sit there for years on end without being touched? These are all big challenges about having an emergency kit. And we've been thinking about it lately because of the fires in the Northwest. People have had to evacuate for those. Even uh, last month, we were without water for a couple of days in our house, and that was really challenging. We were glad that we had some emergency supplies on hand to take care of us, even though we were just at home, but it was still really hard to go even a couple days without water. Anyway, all of this got us thinking, why would we not use our backpacking gear to double as our 72-hour kits? 
Yeah, we certainly rotate through the food pretty regularly. And we use our backpacking gear on a regular basis, so we know how to use it. The clothing all fits, and it's very versatile clothing, too. That's one of the great things about kind of the backpacking clothing setup. It works for basically all four seasons. And if we had to carry our backpacks for a long distance, hey, no problem. They're super comfortable. That's what they're made for. So we're thinking the way to go with a 72-hour kit is to simply dual-purpose your backpacking gear. Now, there's still a few challenges that we should probably talk about, but you know, you're going to have your pack and you're going to have your stuff in it where it's basically grab and go, ready. But there's a few things maybe you can't just completely have stuffed in your pack ready to grab. Yeah, and that would be your sleeping bag and if you have a down jacket, those should never be compressed and stored in your pack for any longer than the trip that you're going to be taking. Whether it's down or synthetic, uh, any insulating material needs to be stored uncompressed. Otherwise, if you store it compressed, it's going to stay compressed when you go to use it. It's just not going to be very effective. So you'll have to keep your insulating stuff outside of your pack, just right next to it though, right? And so if an emergency comes up, you do have one thing to do, and that is to compress your sleeping bag into your pack and put in, you know, your down jacket or whatever other insulating layer you have. Pack that into your pack and you're ready to go. Another issue is water. I would recommend bringing sealed water bottles with you because a lot of times in an emergency, you'll be in the city and city water is not really treatable using a backcountry water filter. So, I mean, of course, if you want to, you could go up into the woods and ride out the emergency or the uh, disaster that way and uh, get fresh water from a freshwater source. But um, you can't just take your little Sawyer Mini and pump the little drainage ditch next to your house. It's going to have all sorts of things that can't be filtered out. Your filter would be clogged up in no time at all if you don't have a good water source. So that's great to have water. It's really easy to just have a disposable water bottle in your pack ready to go. And when you go backpacking, yeah, you might pull that out and leave it home and take your favorite water bottle with you. But in a disaster or emergency, you know that your pack already has a couple liters of water in it. It's ready to grab. When I was preparing for my first backpacking trip, my mom sent me a really great email. And one of the things that she said was, You want to be a self-sufficient pod. And that really stuck with me. Even, you know, on the trip that I took, I ended up taking all of my own gear, even though I ended up sharing a stove with someone. I wanted to be a self-sufficient pod and know that every single thing I needed was on my back and on my person. That really gives you a lot of confidence on the trail, but especially during a natural disaster, just knowing that you have a bed to sleep on, you have warm, dry clothes, you have a way to get fresh water, you have food, you have all those things. You may even have some comfort items in there like an iPod. It really, really helps during a disaster. So this is the route that we're going to take with our backpacking gear. We're going to swap out those uh, dedicated 72-hour kits that we made for our backpacks. And we're going to keep them stocked with water, food, other things that we should have in there. We'll just keep our insulated things like sleeping bags uncompressed near the backpacks. And what's great, I think, is that if we have a last-minute itch to go backpacking, then we can just grab our packs and go. Because currently, it actually takes us a long time to get the whole family ready for a backpacking trip. 
So this will prepare us to go on a moment's notice on a backpacking trip. And at the same time, we could leave on a moment's notice in case of an emergency. I love that. See, even backpacking is a multi-use activity. You can use it for recreation. You can use it for disasters, kind of a little bit of everything. Well, for today's top five list, we are sharing the top five benefits of going stoveless. One of my favorite pieces of outdoor gear is backpacking stoves. Some are super powerful and you just like, you know, you can hear the power that's going through the little stoves. Some are just mysterious. They have invisible flames and they're just silent. Those are the alcohol stoves. Some are great for simmering if you like cooking and, you know, actually producing food on the trail. And some have just incredible engineering minds behind them. And I love that you can just take something that has such a massive footprint in your home and basically fit it either into your pocket or into your pack. And sometimes even into your shirt pocket, they're so thin and tiny. It's just a really, I think it's a cool magic trick. And stoves have fire. And in episode 41, we talked about the mesmerizing effect of fire, you know, so stoves are cool. Looking back through our past episodes, I think we've reviewed four different stoves on the Summit Gear Review. So this is clearly a piece of gear that we have a lot of fun with. However, stoves are not 100% necessary on every trip. There are lots of people that go stoveless. So today we're going to share the top five benefits of going stoveless. And I have to tell you, there was a sixth benefit, but this is the top five list. And so I kind of kind of want to share it right now before I read off the rest of the five, because I think it's a really nice benefit for first time backpackers who feel like, oh, there's so much gear to buy. Where do I start? Or how do I fit this into my budget? Or what do I get? Do I have to have everything for every trip? Well, this is one of those items that you could actually maybe hold back, not jump in and buy one right away. And you could go stoveless on your first trip. And so save a little bit of money. So that's the top sixth tip, whatever, the, the zero tip <laughs> that didn't make it on the top five list, but it will save you some money. I'm a data guy, so we'll just call that benefit number zero. Thank you. Anyone who's a programmer will totally relate. There's benefit number zero, and now we're moving on to benefit number one. Benefit number one of going stoveless. Lighter load. No stove means no fuel. And that can be about a pound of savings in pack weight. So especially if you're looking to go a little bit lighter, then leaving your stove and your fuel at home is a great way to save weight. For safety's sake, you'll still want to bring matches and a mug or a little pot that you can boil water in. Those are just basic survival items that can serve lots of different purposes. So a lighter load, if you leave your stove and your fuel at home. I guess this is a little bit related to lighter load, but what if you're going somewhere that's going to involve air travel to get there? Then leaving the stove behind, it lightens your load, so that's nice because you've only got so much space for your luggage. But on top of that, it's just uh, going to be a lot easier to get through the airport. The number two benefit of going stoveless is more trail time. You won't have to deal with the setup of your cooking gear, no waiting time for water to boil or for dinner to rehydrate. 
Also, if you typically pack a stove that burns biofuel, yeah, biofuel. No, I meant bio, biomass. What is that stuff that's on the floor of the uh, forest? Sticks and <laughs> wood. I was trying to find the fancy word. Okay. Biomass is probably the fancy word. Okay. Also, if you use a stove that burns sticks and pine cones and stuff like that, then you won't have to spend time scrubbing the outside of your pot. You can just uh, leave that for another camping trip, maybe. So leaving your stove at home can really mean a 30 to 60 minute savings in trail time, which means more time for adventure. And in case people haven't figured this out yet, we're not talking about leaving the stove home and using a fire to cook. We're really talking about leaving the stove home and not cooking at all. And not eating at all. No, we actually do eat on the trail. Yes. We're not going Okay, we'll talk about that after our top five list because there are some great stoveless foods that you can take. We promise they're real food. It's not like birch bark mixed with wild mushrooms. It's real food. All right, the number three benefit of going stoveless is no camp odors from cooking. So when you pull out your meal replacement bar or your dried fruit or your tortillas and peanut butter, the scent won't carry across the canyon like cooking on a stove will. You'll still need to keep the camp clean and crumb-free, but there's a good chance your pro bar won't attract the whole cast of forest creatures. And along with keeping the camp clean of crumbs, you'll also want to make sure to keep your garbage put somewhere where mice won't be tempted to chew through. So keep your garbage away from your pack at night. The number four reason to go stoveless is that leftovers are easier to deal with. If you're eating a meal entirely made of shelf-stable ingredients that you just pulled out of your pack, it's a lot easier to stuff those back in if you don't eat everything. But once you've rehydrated or cooked a meal, you're kind of stuck with it. If you don't eat the whole thing, you can't just throw it out on the ground. That's going to attract all kinds of problems. So you've got to put it with your garbage. You have to pack it out. There's not really a, a nice, easy way to, to kind of hold on to that cooked meal for later. It's just gross. Uh, you know, after it's cooled off, nobody wants it. So if you're using entirely shelf-stable food, you don't have that problem, at least not so much. The number five benefit of going stoveless is no worries. When summer is hot and dry, forest rangers really start getting nervous about campfires and stoves and anything with a spark. So if you go stoveless, 100% stoveless, then you'll be free from worries about whether your stove is going to be the cause of the next big burn. Kind of gives you peace of mind, I guess. Even when fire danger is really high, uh, it seems like they don't really ban, you know, mm -hmm. the uh, isobutane propane mix stoves. They'll ban open fires, which I don't really see how that's much different than a pocket rocket or something. Both have flames coming out of them, but I guess one has little embers that fly away and little sparks, and then one just has a concentrated burning blue flame. Right. I guess the advantage of a regular gas-powered camp stove is that as soon as you turn it off, it really has lost its ability to start a fire. I mean, the surface is still hot, but it's probably not even hot enough to light something else on fire, at least within a few seconds of turning it off. So yeah, worry-free. Leave the stove home. No worries about starting a fire anywhere. Quite a few years ago, before you got into backpacking, 
I took an opportunity to take the boys out on a camping trip. We didn't have a lot of time. It was just after work one Friday, just a quick overnighter. And so I went stoveless on that trip. We stopped on the way and bought breakfast for the next morning, which was cold cereal and milk. This was a non-backpacking trip, just car camping. So cold cereal and milk. And then we stopped and grabbed a pizza and we finished driving the last few minutes to our campground, opened up the pizza box and had dinner. The next morning we had our cold cereal. We had a few granola bars and snacks and that was it. No cooking at all. It was really nice because I didn't have a lot of time for that trip to either prepare for it or to cook while on the trip. We were just able to go and relax, be out in the woods, and just have easy food. It was great. Do you know that pizza slices fit perfectly in your pocket? (laughs) (laughs) There's a little tip for you. You know you're a backpacker. If. (laughs) Spare us. (laughs) I will. Uh, Go ahead. So some really great um, non-cook foods would be like muesli, pita bread or tortillas, almond butter, nuts, jerky of any kind, energy bars, drink mixes, MREs even if you want to really punish yourself. (laughs) But they're all easy things to take on the trail that require no cooking. And as we said, a slice of cold pizza never hurt nobody either. So if it fits in your pocket, take it along. Well, it's been a while since we've done a Ready for Adventure segment. These are fun because what we do is we just plan a hypothetical trip. Just come up with a hypothetical situation and kind of talk through how we would carry out preparing for and going on that backpacking trip. And the listeners get to ride along with us and kind of think about what they would do in this situation. Okay, so Heather, here's the situation. You and another mom have decided to hit the trail with your kids. You have two kids, she has three, and all the kids are old enough to wipe their own noses and pick their own fights. So we're thinking ages six to 10. You found a trail that will be perfect for the kids. And you're also thinking of how to pack so that you can be prepared for any kind of situation that may come up when you're backpacking with children. It's a one-night trip. School has just started. You're leaving after school on Friday, and you're coming back late afternoon on Saturday. It's September, so it's still daylight saving time. You've got more uh, evening daylight. You're bringing uh, one tent for each family, so three of you in your tent, and then the other mom with her three kids, four of them in the other tent. The kids will be carrying their own sleeping bag, pad, snacks, water, and flashlights and change of clothes. And then the moms get to carry the rest, and that includes the first aid kits, the tents, the meals, the cooking equipment, water filters, etc. It's about a two-mile out-and-back trip. It's got quite a bit of elevation gain at the beginning, and then it kind of levels off for the rest of the trail. So what are your thoughts on how to get through the hiking portion of the trip with the kids? Well, I love that it's a two-mile out and back. I think that's really doable for the size group that we have and the ages that we have. In fact, I think they're going to they're gonna crush this. I think it's going to be really easy. And the challenging elevation gain at the beginning, I think, will be a lot of fun because then they'll have stories to tell when they get back about how terrible it was and how hard it was and how they suffered. But, uh, you know, that's part of the fun. So I think for that part, I, I would probably bring 
a few extra little treats or rewards um, for the kids to help them get through the trail, especially the younger ones. And then I think just for that, actually the whole 24 hours, just take lots of pictures, but especially that first when they're first starting out, those first pictures of, you know, the elevation gain and them going uphill and just truly suffering, I think having them be able to look back on that would be really meaningful for them. So lots of good pictures and then lots of encouragement too, because elevation can be really deflating for a child who just imagines it going on forever and ever. So knocking out the elevation gain right at the beginning of the trail is is a nice setup. You don't always have that luxury. You don't get to uh, tell the trail what it should look like. <laughs> it's already there. But uh, that's a nice opportunity that you can knock out the elevation gain while they, their energy levels are still high. And by engaging them with, you know, stopping for photos and things like that to really kind of drum up the adventure, the challenge of the first part of this trail, you can keep their spirits high as well. Well, it's September. The weather starts to cool off a little bit in September. So you're looking at highs in probably the 60s and nighttime lows dipping down into the 40s. But the forecast calls for no rain. How do you think you'll prepare for the particular weather that you'll be facing on this trip? Even though it's September, I would still make sure that everyone has insulating layers. I know 40s is pretty cold, actually, for little kids. They don't have built-in insulating layers like a lot of us adults do. So definitely, you know, the base layer and then a warm jacket. It doesn't have to be compressible, lightweight, you know, down, nothing like that. It just needs to be their classic off-to-school warm jacket. I would throw a fleece in there, too. As a side note, uh, you and I are currently preparing for a real trip to northeastern Oregon to the Wallawa Mountains. And one of the key things that we are watching right now is the weather forecast. We're trying to get our minds into what it's going to be like there. Because we know what it's like here at home, but that's hundreds of miles away and thousands of feet higher elevation than where we are right now. And so we're watching that forecast and trying to make sure that we prepare well enough for the overnight low temperatures. A good rule of thumb that I'm sure every child knows is the higher up in elevation you go, the colder it gets. So, you know, this trip, I said there was some elevation gain in the beginning, not really enough to affect the overall temperature, but it's something that we're looking at on our trip that we'll be taking soon is we'll be going up 4,000 feet in elevation and we know that the nearest town is going to be in the 30s at night. So we're definitely planning for, for cold temperatures. So coming back to our hypothetical trip, you and the other mom and your kids, let's talk about the campsite. Uh, up at the campsite, there's a shallow stream. Uh, no real drowning risk for the kids. It's not that deep. However, it is a source of wetness. So, you know, I think it's pretty much guaranteed that the kids are going to get themselves wet up there. What are you going to do to prepare for staying at that campsite? I think bringing a camp towel, multiple camp towels, is just a really great idea, specifically for this trip. Because, like you said, kids are drawn to water. It's part of the magic. It's part of the fun. I mean, if not fire, then water. They're both equally magical. So definitely, I would bring probably one of those light load towels. It's a full-size bath towel. I think it packs down to like 
four and a half, five ounces. It's so lightweight and it's just huge. And one of the great things about the light load towels is they dry out quickly. And I mean, if every single kid uses it and gets it dirty, it's disposable. So you can wash it and reuse it on another trip, or you can just dispose of it when you get home or bury it in your compost pile. So I think that's a really great option. Another thing I would bring along with me would be several gallon zip top bags because someone is going to step into the stream and get their shoes wet or their socks wet and you know, if they have the change of clothes, they can change into that, but then you're going to have all this wet clothing and you don't want that to get everyone else's stuff wet or, you know, get their pack wet. So I'll just bring some gallons of top bags. Think of all the times that we've had our kids' shoes lined up around a campfire, trying to get those shoes to, to dry off. It's just bound to happen. So I would also recommend, in addition to that extra change of clothes, it might be good to throw in one more extra pair of socks for each of the kids. Something where when nighttime comes, especially since it's going to be, you know, a little bit on the chilly side, that they can put on some completely fresh, dry socks and be warm and dry through the, through the night. Great point. That's a really, I mean, sleeping with dry socks can change your entire mood. It's amazing what that can do. I always change into fresh socks at night when I go to bed. The socks that you wear during the day, they might feel dry, but take them off and let them kind of cool off a little bit and then touch them and they don't feel so dry anymore. There's just that bit of moisture in there from wicking your uh, perspiration and moisture off of your skin. And so when you get in the sleeping bag with those socks that you've been wearing all day, that moisture is now trapped in your sleeping bag. And besides, it's just kind of grimy and uncomfortable. So fresh socks make a huge difference. Well, I also wanted to point out for people who are not a fan of just going through gallons of top bags like there is no tomorrow, um, I found a really cool product called the Matador Droplet. And they're these waterproof bags that are kind of a fabric, but they have a waterproof um, coating, I think, or a Maybe it's impregnated into the fabric. I'm not sure. But they hold three liters worth of stuff. So you can definitely throw all the stuff in there. And the great thing about these little matador droplets is that you can just hook them on to the outside of your pack. They're shaped like a little water droplet. And you just turn the little droplet inside out and it reveals this three liter bag. So that's a really great option too. If you just want to have something attached to your pack all the time that can deal with drippy, wet, grimy, dirty stuff, that's a really great option. That brings to mind, we had our first listener contributed, you might be a backpacker joke the other day. And it was, you might be a backpacker if you wash your zip top bags to reuse them. Yes. Excellent. That is awesome. (laughs) Because we do go through quite a few of them. I mean, they're just really great multi-use items. Yeah. So it's great to have an option that is actually a little more durable with these Matador droplet bags that they're really kind of meant to be reused a few times. We've talked about the preparation. We've got the trail that we talked about and the campsite, and we're ready for the things that are probably going to happen. So... You're there on the trip. You've made it to the campsite. You've all gone to bed. And in the middle of the night, one of the kids wakes up sick. Dinner is no longer in the kid. It's on the sleeping bag. This is like every mom's worst nightmare. No. (laughs) What do you do? And you're two miles from the car. And 
what do you do? Um, so it's one kid. You can't kick the kid out. That's mean. Yeah, that's mean. And I'm in the tent with two kids. So let's get creative here. I would say I would remove the offending sleeping bag and probably have both of the kids sleep on their sleeping pads with one good sleeping bag acting as kind of a big quilt or a big blanket. So I'd unzip the good sleeping bag all the way and just put that over both of the kids because it's totally fine to sleep on top of a sleeping pad. You're not going to lose insulation that way. Most of the insulating value from a sleeping bag comes from what's on top of you. The part of the sleeping bag that's underneath of you is almost worthless as it gets compressed by you laying on it. And then I would probably offer the sick child a gallon-sized Ziploc bag in case there's more because if it happened again, we'd be, I don't know, you just have to wipe things off and, you know, these things happen, they're kids, you want them to have a really great positive experience and already losing your dinner in a tent is not a great experience. So anything you can do to, I guess, keep calm and uh, then deal with it when you get home. It's tempting to consider packing back out immediately in the middle of the night because you are so close to your car, only a couple miles. But even over a couple miles, boy, you know, by the time you were to break camp and get everything packed up and all the kids are dead asleep, it's in the middle of the night, that's really disruptive. So it really does pay to just take a minute and think through what you're going to do. Just that moment or two of thinking about it before you act. And yeah, I think probably in this case, the best thing to do is to stay there, to deal with the mess like you talked about, and then just be ready to probably cut the trip short the next morning. But at least everyone can get a night of sleep. You can wake up when it's light outside. Then it's a lot easier to deal with everything. And who knows, maybe you'll still bring home some great memories from your trip. If nothing else, you'll have a great story. Today's backpack hack of the week is custom cut closed cell foam pads. Those closed cell foam pads are the cheap blue pads that you can find at any big box store. They're cheap, they're durable, and they can actually be customized which is kind of cool. So what you can do is if you buy one of those full-sized closed cell foam pads, if you have kids, you can actually cut the pad to fit their frame, which ends up being kind of nice because then they don't have that wide pad hanging off the back of their pack. They have something that's as narrow as they are that rolls up a little bit tighter and is just a fraction lighter, which I think they'll appreciate. For adults, you can do the same thing. You could trim the sides off so you won't knock people off the trail. You can also take those pads and cut them up into rear end sized pieces and use them as a sitting pad. And if you buy one closed cell foam pad, then you can have mini camp seats for your entire family, all of your friends. You can uh, pass them out as Christmas gifts, whatever you want to do. This is totally obvious, but it's impossible to chop up an inflatable sleeping pad. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and so even though these blue pads are just like cheap and people think of them as worthless, rethink that because they do offer a degree of adaptability that you're not going to get from your super expensive, super lightweight inflatable pad. 
and it means that you can put them to work for other purposes like you've just talked about. We'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from a good man, Thomas Mann. He said, Thoughts come clearly while one walks. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. have a they actually <laughs> for government believe it or not <laughs> believe it or not they've got their act together and uh, i like what i wrote better than what i said <laughs> oh man also if you end up listening to a truck drive by then <clears throat>